On today's podcast, e-commerce superstar Ezra Firestone drops knowledge bombs on us, such as on Amazon, people are buying products. Off Amazon, people are buying promises. Find out more on today's episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I am your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the e-commerce world. And today, I've got one of the most serious sellers in the game, Ezra Firestone. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Hey, I'm serious. Uh, super happy to be here, man. Um, love, love what you guys do and always uh, very enthusiastic and um, look forward to and enjoy talking to other e-commerce business owners who are out there doing it, out there making things happen, out there in the trenches. It's, um, it's a passion of mine. I've been in this industry since 2005, kind of grown up in this industry. So yeah, just thankful to be here. All right. I love it. Now, the acronym I guess, or abbreviation, I don't know what the actual term is for the Serious Sellers podcast is obviously SSP. We're going to do something a little different. We're going to make the SSP the Serious Sumo podcast for now, because I found something on your Instagram that you somehow follow sumo wrestling. So I got to understand the origin of that. Um, yeah, thanks for thanks for looking that up. I am a, a very big fan of sumo. I grew up in Hawaii and Hawaii has a very strong Japanese influence. And so I grew up doing judo on a very competitive level throughout my uh, young adulthood and also competed in a little bit of sumo, traveled to Japan on many occasions. And I think sumo is one of these sports that is not appreciated in the West, but is really a beautiful art and has a lot of tradition and it's so fun. And if you understand what is actually happening, I mean, most people think sumo wrestlers are fat. They're not. They're only at like 18 to 20% body fat. They are huge muscular machines and they're going ahead. It's really a fun sport. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm a fan. <laughs> yeah. So it's so a little known fact. I used to be an amateur sumo wrestler myself. So really? that's, we have something coming. Growing up, I, I lived three years in Japan myself, like when I was like nine, 10, 11. So that was in the years of Konishiki and Shiona Fuji oh, yeah. and the OGs. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Akebono. Akebono. Yep. Yeah. So that, I mean, there we go. So we, we have something in common right off the bat other than e-commerce. So, so why'd uh, you I love give it. up the game, man? Why'd you give up the game? You didn't want to go pro. You didn't want to be the next uh, Hakuho. No, no. Oh, Hakuho still dominated at his age. It's pretty amazing. But, but what happened, I, I never thought that I could be, I, I love sumo wrestling growing up. You know, I was always, you know, a little bit unathletic, I guess, you know, I didn't play sports and, and just sumo was like something that appealed to me. I was always a little overweight, even as a kid. And I'm like, ah, I can never be a pro sumo wrestler. And then when I moved back to the States, I didn't realize there was a such thing as amateur sumo wrestling. So, you know, I got into it. And then um, the kind of club that I was with, they were the ones who worked on all the shows like Memoirs of a Geisha and, and Ocean's 12, where, where there's sumo scenes and we would, we would work on that. And so that was, that was kind of like, I got all my exposure to sumo wrestling, but I, I gave it up because in amateur sumo wrestling, you know how there's weight classes. So I had to keep my weight up at around 260 to, to maintain and it was just not a good weight for me. So when I lost some weight, I was kind of in limbo because I tried to compete at lightweight, which is 187. And that was just like too light for me. And I didn't want to keep my weight up. So I'm just like, I'm just going to stick with, with being a, going back to being a, a sumo fan instead of a 
sumo wrestling. Yeah, uh, that's hilarious, man. Yeah, and weight is tough. You know, some it's like some guys are the perfect size for certain sports, and some guys are sort of these tweeners where you never quite fit into a given weight class, and so you don't really get your opportunity. This is my problem with mixed martial arts. I feel like the weight class system is a little funky. Anyways, I know we're not here to talk about sumo. So. Right. <laughs> Let's talk about other than sumo wrestling, what was your kind of, you know, we always like talking about the origin story. So you said you grew up in Hawaii, like what was your educational background or what was some of your first gainful employments? Uh, I never had a job. You know, I was, always, I grew up on a, in an alternative lifestyle experiment, sort of a communal living hippie commune situation with a group of folks who um, were really focused on communication, partnerships, lifestyle, relationships. Uh, you know, what it took to live pleasurably with other people across the gender line or otherwise. And, you know, um, we did not have much, you know, the lights would go out, the water would turn off, the people would fall through the floors because it was moldy. Like we didn't have money, but we were very rich with love and, and community. And I kind of decided at an early age that I would like to be able to access resource so I could use that resource towards causes that I found noble. And I think that's what entrepreneurs are up to is like looking to generate resource so that we can take care of people. And in my case, it was my family, my community, different, you know, causes in the world that I was interested in. But, you know, I grew up actually retailing. So the way that we would make money is we would sell things at the flea market and we would get whatever we could, you know, we would, we would, we'd get the t-shirts of the team that didn't win the Super Bowl, you know, cause they print them for both people. We, we'd get anything and we would bring it to the flea market and we would sell there. And the flea market was a really good education in retail because it was old school buy for one and sell for two, you know, test crayon versus mm -hmm. marker, build your, build your physical store on the corner that had the most traffic, get there early. Like it was all the same stuff that I'm doing now. I'm just doing it digitally and I'm not limited to a certain geography like I was at the flea market. But um, yeah, I, I never had a job. You know, I came straight out of high school, became a um, uh, moved to New York City to play poker for a living in the underground scene. Did that for a few years. Went by the name Johnny, how you doing? That was really fun. But, you know, the life of a poker player is up all night, sleep all day, hang out with a bunch of degenerates, no women around. It was not for me, even though I was quite good at it. So mm -hmm. I met a guy who was... Um, he was selling digitally delivered information on how to start a life coaching business before life coaching was mainstream, before business coaching was mainstream, before relationship coaching was mainstream. Way back in 04, this guy was selling business opportunity education in the realm of starting your own coaching practice. He was one of the first people to do this. He uh, was one of the founders of the International Coaching Federation. And he was using search engine optimization, which was the visibility source of that time, as a means to get people to know about his offerings, which were digitally delivered education on how to start your own business. And um, I made a trade with him where I said, hey, man, I'll teach you how to play poker. You teach me SEO. And so he taught me SEO. And then from there, I basically, you know, from the age 19 until now, I'm 33. I've been doing nothing but e-commerce, digital marketing. Um, you know, I found my way to e-commerce because I felt that was the superior business model. I tried a lot, man. I did affiliate marketing. I had a yeah. services agency. I um, did CPA. I, I did all kinds of stuff. And I ultimately landed on e-commerce as the, as the business model that I wanted to kind of move forward with. And I've been doing that steady since 07. So did you ever go to a four-year university? No, I did not. I barely got out of high school. I got thrown out of high school, involuntarily transferred. I was considered dumb in the eyes of the school system because I just couldn't figure out how to win in that environment. I was not 
traditionally book smart, if you will. I mean, I could spell and I could write, but I just was not, I didn't have the um, ability to just sit in those classes and listen to a bunch of stuff that I felt was not relevant to me, you know? And so I didn't really make it in school. And uh, uh, once I got out and was able to kind of forge my own path, that's when I flourished. I, I think that's important for people to hear too. You know, sometimes in this, uh, at least in this country, you know, people are grow up thinking that the only way to success is, is four year or possibly even six, eight year degrees. And if you don't do that, then, then you're not going to be successful. And different people come to that same conclusion too, that you've come to, like, I was a little bit different. I was actually good in school. My parents made me, you know, like I didn't play sports or anything like that in school. I was just all about being a nerd. You know, I was 4.8 GPA. And then guess what though? But my parents did understand though, that, Hey, four year universities is not the only answer. So I didn't go to one. I graduated top of my class. I did not go to a four year university. I studied Japanese and in a junior college a little bit and, and kind of just did my own thing. And I, I eventually did get a, a degree like 10 years later. And the only reason is because the company I was working for at the time paid for it and they wanted me to do it. And I was like, you're going to pay me to go to school. I was like, sure, I'll do it if you're paying me to do it. But guys, if your guys are out there, especially you young people, don't get in the mindset that if you're not that great at school, even at high school, that you're going to be a failure in, in business. Uh, Ezra is a perfect example. Yeah, of the opposite. I would take it a step further and say, you'd be stupid. And I don't use that word very often to waste mm. four years of your life going to college as an excuse. Basically what people use college for is a way to shuck the responsibility of being an adult to have four more years where yeah. you don't have to do anything. Now, if you can pull that off and you can have a coming of age experience where you learn about yourself and you learn about what you're interested in in the world and you have fun and you grow up and you leave the nest of your parents' house and you get some experience being out there on your own, making your own choices, wonderful if you can do that without going into debt. But if you're like most folks and you buy into the hustle of higher education that says, hey, you got to spend 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, $70,000 a semester to go to our school and you've got to mm -hmm. go into debt to do so. And you're going to come out of this four-year experience $100,000 plus in debt with no ability to get a job. 401ks don't exist anymore. Companies that are going to hire you for the rest of your life don't exist anymore. It's like, it's not a good investment of your time and energy if it, it results in debt, which was what most people do. You know, we're going to be the first generation the millennials are going to be the first generation of people who will die before their student debt is paid off. It has been proven on every level that, that the college system <laughs> is designed to put students into debt. It is designed for profit. It's such a hustle. And, yep. and the problem is that all these kids are growing up with their parents conditioning them to believe that the right path in life, the only path in life is go to, go to high school, go to college, get a degree, and then get a job because that was true when they were coming out of high school, but it, the times have changed. And you really, at this point, you need to acquire skills. You don't need to go to college to get those skills. And you can acquire those skills in a whole bunch of different ways that don't result in you going into debt to do so. And I got lucky. No college would take me. And I was not interested in the experience. So by the time the people that I went to high school with came out of college with $100,000 in debt, I had a six-figure e-commerce business. So it was not that I was mm -hmm. any smarter than anyone. It was actually that I just couldn't figure out how to win in the school system. It was just not designed for someone like me who does not fit into those boxes. And two, nobody would take me. Yeah. Yeah. So it worked out, worked out good for you. And then there's a bunch of your high school classmates, $80,000 in debt and having to work at McDonald's because they couldn't get a degree in what they had, what they had studied. So 
Guys, you know, there's success stories either way, but I think what we're trying to tell you guys is don't get into the mindset that that university is the only way. And in many cases, it could actually be a detriment to to getting you on the right path. Now, speaking of uh, of the right path, you definitely have one of the greatest you know paths I've seen. Um, like for for all of your different business models, you know, for 2019, what's your total revenue about? Would you say is going to be at around 35 million? And I got 110 employees now, and like. That sounds all fun and impressive and cool. And it's like, hey, listen, I am just some guy who found his way to digital marketing and fell in love with it and has have been doing it every day since 2005. So I'm like almost 15 years into this. And, you know, a lot of people feel like making money is what they need to do, that the, that the game is make a whole bunch of money. And I can tell you as someone who went from being uh on the lower end of the economic spectrum and think identifying as a poor person, being poor, growing up poor to now being having more money than most people that I know that money is not going to make you happy. Money can buy you comfort. Money can buy you experiences, but happiness will not come from having more money. I mean, there's a certain level of money that you need just Mm -hmm. to pay your bills and eat and stuff like that. And once that's covered, that's like, I think they did a study. It's like, once you make over $75,000 a year in, in America, you're like not going to get any happier by having more money. So I would say, find something that you're, find something that you can be interested in and then do that for a long period of time. Because what turns out it's that humans are attracted to winning cycles. So we do the things that we win at and we fall in love with the things that we win at. So if you pick up an instrument every day, for a year and you play it. And over the course of that year, you get good at it. You fall in love with it because you are winning at it. And then it becomes this cycle where you just get better and better because you're enjoying it because you're doing well at it. And business is this funny thing because it takes a long time to see success. Most people start judging their success way too early. Like you have to give yourself six to 12 months to figure out what it is you're even going to do. And for my case, it takes six to 12 months to develop a new product. And then I need six months or so to build the technology system and another six months to market it. So it's 18 to 24 months before I've even done six months of marketing on a new business. And then I need to assess that and do another six months. So I feel like if you're starting a new offer on Amazon or otherwise, you've got to give it 12 to 36 months before you judge your action. And most people are judging their action at month 12 when they really haven't had enough time, energy, effort invested in the business to really find out if it's going to be successful. And so that's a a mistake I see a lot of young folks who are coming up make is they want that money right away. They want it to work immediately. And it's like something of value takes time and energy to develop. Absolutely. Now, what one cool thing that I've always admired uh, about how, you know, you've gotten to where you are, it's not just all, all your eggs aren't in one basket here. So you, you've got a SaaS company, you know, you've built brands off of Amazon, you know, you have on Amazon companies you have educational services. Now of all of those different kind of paths that someone can take, like, would you say it's necessary to diversify yourself so much? Or if not, like, what would you suggest to somebody who is just starting? You know, maybe they're at where you're at, you know, 13 years I ago or something. I think it's easy to look at where I am and desire my position and not factor in that I have 110 people working for me and I've been doing this for 15 years. You can't judge your action against someone who's further down the path. And I think that the mm-hmm. first thing I would do if I was getting into the game today and I was interested in walking the path of an entrepreneur and walking the path of a digital marketer and having a physical products business is I would actually start with 
consulting. And the reason I would is because consulting is immediate money. All you got to do is go sell someone a service and then you're making money. So you could quit your job and become a consultant and be paid to learn your skill set. Go learn, you know, come take my training. I have a training called Train My Traffic Person, and it's a full zero to hero, uh, A to Z training on how to do direct response digital advertising for an e-commerce brand so that you can either run advertising for your own brand or be a consultant and service provider for another brand. You could, and even if you don't take my training, I think that is the best immediate path. Everybody wants to go out and start a business, but I actually think, and if you take the path I took, I started as a consultant first because I was then paid. I could quit my normal job, which by the way, I was working 40 hours a week. Actually, it was more like 60 and moonlighting my first e-commerce business. So I was doing it the hard way, the grind way. And as soon as I was able to, I quit my full-time job and became a consultant as a search engine optimizer for for local businesses, as a a Google AdWords advertiser for local businesses and uh, online businesses so that I could be making money, getting paid to acquire the skill set that I would eventually use in my own business. And I think that is actually the easiest path towards quitting your job is consulting because it's just sweat equity, i.e. your time and going out and selling the service, which you can hustle and pound the pavement and do. And so that's what I would start with. And then I would save my money up and I would actually start with a private label brand. I'm going to answer the question you asked in just a second, but I would start with a private label brand instead of drop shipping because private label, you're at least building equity for yourself, i.e. even though you don't have uh, intellectual property on the product itself, you're just white labeling someone else's product, you still have a, your own brand that you put your label on it, you got your own Amazon listing, you're building your own intellectual property and the value of your own asset. Whereas if you're drop shipping, you're spending all this time and energy marketing someone else's product, which is not worthwhile, in my opinion, if you're looking at the bigger game. Which one of the four or, or so paths that you've taken, would you say maybe is the easiest barrier of entry or what somebody should start with? I think that... I would start going deep rather than wide. Yes, I have four successful seven and one eight figure company, but I did not begin launching the others until one was up and running and successful. So you have to go real. Mm. You don't want to be like a shotgun, shiny object syndrome, doing everything. You want to just focus and really get something going. And the path that I would take over right now, I have an information publishing, consulting uh, services slash events like kind of coaching business and smart marketer where I create digitally delivered information products for e-commerce business owners. That's a really fun business, but it is built on my persona. So it has an inherent downside, which is it can never be sold and it's not worth anything because it's only worth the next month's cash flow in as much as it is built around me, the influencer. Then I have software as a service where I build app, just like Helium 10, I build an app. You guys do it for Amazon business owners. I do it for Shopify e-commerce merchants. And that's a really wonderful mm-hmm. business, but it's way harder than physical products because the support staff has to be almost a hundred times more knowledgeable than the support staff for a digital mark or a physical product business because they have to know how to use the software better than the business owners who are using it. And the product itself is variable. Like with an, a software business, you are uh, selling a code base that's constantly being upgraded, constantly changing, constantly needing integrations and With physical products, as you scale, the only thing that has to scale is the marketing because the product itself doesn't change. It's a tub with some goo in it, or it's a, you know, uh, it's a, it's a, a set product that it has to scale in terms of you have to make more, but the product itself is static. Once you develop it, that is what it is. And the, the, the support side of it is easy. It's refunds. It's questions about the product. It's not technical. So the only thing that you have to get good at with physical products 
that as you scale changes and morphs is the marketing, the advertising, the storytelling, the copywriting, the design, the development, that stuff, which you have to do for any business model. And so I would recommend that people focus on becoming very sophisticated direct response marketers in terms of their ability to tell stories, their ability to create compelling videos, their ability to run advertisements and pick a model where the other elements, the other major elements are somewhat static, which are the product development and the support of the product, which is why I'm a big fan of physical products because one, it's an asset that's not necessarily tied to an identity. Of course, there are several brands that are influencer focused, which I would recommend against, Mm -hmm. by the way, and we can talk all about that. Um, I'd recommend if you're going to have influencers have far more than one, so you're not hinging your entire brand identity on a single persona, it lowers the valuation. And let's get into this this higher level conversation for the people who have been in the game for a while, which is, listen, if your goal, if you're playing this game, the goal is wealth creation. I don't care how you want to talk about whatever you're doing. At the end of the day, you're in this on some level to generate wealth. Okay. So if we're going to take that as the sort of principal thing that we are uh, moving in the direction of having our own businesses for, guess what? Cash flow businesses are never going to generate the kind of wealth that you will need to do um, certain things in the world. And if you look at our parents' generation, they understood this. What they did was they got jobs and then they used the money from their jobs to invest in assets. In their case, it was real estate. And then they let those assets appreciate. They sat on them for 10 to 20 years. And then they liquidated those assets to generate large sums of money that they could then use to buy more assets and deploy so they could deploy that money into the market to grow. And so with business owners, what they do is they build businesses that kick off cash flow and then they don't necessarily think beyond that. And if you're if you're like me, the most valuable thing that your business will ever do for you is sell. And so you want to set your business up from the jump to be able to be sold for the highest value possible, which is why ideally you have intellectual property on the product side, i.e. you develop your own product, not just white label someone else's. Eventually, you are not only selling on Amazon because a brand that has a footprint off of Amazon is a little bit more valuable, i.e. maybe a lot more valuable than a brand that only sells on Amazon. And you're thinking about selling your business from the jump. You, you, you focus on repeat business. You focus on product line expansion. You focus on storytelling and asset creation, Facebook followers, YouTube followers, email addresses, phone numbers, so that when you go to sell your company, it's worth a lot more than if you didn't focus on all that stuff so that you can then take that wealth that you generate on the sale event and deploy it into the market to buy new businesses, build new businesses, buy assets. But but real wealth is generated from asset liquidation, not business operation. And understanding that will change your strategy a little bit. I love all that, guys. I'm going to go back really quick to about seven minutes ago. There's something that Ezra said that you guys might think is a little bit backwards, like start being a consultant. Well, like how, how can I be a trusted consultant without, you know, having done it and, and being able to show people, well, guys, guess what? You know, Ezra doesn't, didn't know I like sumo. Ezra doesn't know much of my backstory, but guys, that was my story. Like I, I was never a private label Amazon seller. All right. I just started, went to a conference, started learning. And as I was going, I was like, Hey, I'm going to be a consultant. And that was just the, the model that worked for me. That was before I worked at Helium 10, I was a consultant for Amazon sellers making tons of money without even ever having launched my own private label business. Now, eventually I made enough money where I could have, if I wanted to, but 
that model was just great for me without the risk. You know, I didn't have maybe as high a ceiling just working by myself or not launching my own private label, but I also didn't have a floor. You know, when you launch your own brand, you go all in, you could lose everything if it doesn't work out as a consultant, that's not going to happen. So I definitely can, can feel what Ezra was saying there. Now here, here's a question for you. Now, a lot of your success has come off of Amazon. Now, a lot of our listeners, we have a lot of listeners who aren't selling on Amazon, but I think the majority maybe are. So what advice would you give to somebody who has had some initial success on Amazon, but now they're ready to build a brand and or presence off of Amazon? Yeah. I mean, one thing in business that I think is really a good one, and I wish there was a nicer way to say it than this. If someone has one, let me know, is uh, feed your stallions and starve your ponies. So if Amazon is your stallion and you understand how to do Amazon, before you go and develop a brand off of Amazon, double down on what's working there. Spend more money on Amazon sponsored ads. Launch more products on Amazon with the product launch strategy you have. Like First and foremost, uh, double down on what's working. Business owners look at what they have, they disapprove of it, and they try to go do something different than what is working for them. And I would urge you, Amazon is not going to get any easier than it is today. It's only going to get more difficult in a number of ways, the same way paid amplification and traditional e-commerce is going to get more difficult year over year. So if something is working, do more of it now while it's working. Take 80% of your energy and focus it on growing your Amazon business. Take the other 20% of your energy and focus on expanding your brand outside of Amazon. And the best way to do that is to build a traditional e-commerce infrastructure for your brand. I teach how to do this on Shopify using my application, Zipify Pages. You can build your whole website. And then spend money retargeting the people who came to your Amazon brand over to your website, spend money driving people through landing pages on your website over to Amazon, collecting their email address first, spend 5 to 10% of your marketing budget driving people through your website and even don't even take orders through your website at first, just take orders through Amazon, but drive them through and that creates what are known as brand assets people on your pixeled audiences who visited your website who you can retarget, people whose email addresses you have who you can email when you have a new product on Amazon. Um, basically, build and what happens is about 5% of the money that you make on Amazon, you'll make on your regular website just by default of people searching for your brand on Google. So I would build out your traditional e-commerce infrastructure. And I have a course coming that's like for Amazon owners that teaches them step-by-step -step how to build out an e-commerce infrastructure for their brand. I can let you guys know about it when it's ready. It'll be ready in a couple months. Um, but basically, step one is just build the infrastructure and begin in running some of your advertising through your site so that you build up Facebook fans, pixeled audiences, and email addresses. And then eventually, you start trying to get a direct response sales funnel off of Amazon to work. But at first, you just build the infrastructure and send people through your website back over to Amazon. Now, for the people who you've noticed who, who do that, whether they're just starting, so they're starting off off of Amazon or they were on Amazon, now they're trying to get off. What is one of the common or some of the common mistakes that you see people who are trying to, to build some traction off of Amazon? What mistakes do you see happen that, you know, our listeners can maybe know about so that they can avoid? So when you're dealing with direct response marketing, you need to understand the concept of a sales funnel and taking people. See, Amazon, the, the reason that Amazon business owners fail at direct response marketing is Amazon business owners understand search traffic and the buying process of search traffic is very easy. It's search, find, buy. Someone searches for your item. 
you're doing all this kind of stuff in Amazon to have Amazon consider you to be the most relevant or one of the most relevant results for a given search query. And then someone finds your product yeah. offer page and they buy from you because they had search intent. The main difference between marketing on Amazon and marketing off is understanding contextual advertising, which is interruption advertising. It's as if someone is reading a magazine and you're interrupting them with an ad, which means you've got to start with a story. It does not work to go, hey, I exist, come buy from me on social media, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. It just doesn't work because people are not looking for your products. You have to engage someone in a story about a problem they have and then transition into a sales pitch for your product. And so the number one problem that I see people having with advertising off of Amazon is they don't get they do not they do not create compelling video or image assets that sell their product. They just say, hey, I got this thing, come buy it, instead of telling a story in a video about an experience that someone is having and showing a solution to that problem. So I teach a bunch about how to do video. You can go to my blog and Smart Marketer. I got a whole bunch of stuff on this, but it's all about getting someone's attention when they're scrolling through Facebook, looking at their friends and sending them over to your site, but doing so, but getting them to watch a video that you created that is compelling enough to actually get them to want to engage with you and learn about you. You are so uh, correct on that. And it really goes into how I teach, you know, people on Amazon and how I educate. I tell people, it's like, hey, you know, you guys have maybe been listening to just general entre entrepreneurial, you know, motivation and maybe listening to Gary Vee and say, hey, do what you're passionate about or do what you're most knowledgeable about. It's going to be better. And like, yeah, for a vlogger or somebody starting a YouTube channel, that's important. But on Amazon, it's a different ball game because it's, it's not about doing what you're passionate about because that could be something that's completely saturated. It's about finding the opportunity and because and ex capitalizing on existing demand because you can't, it's very hard to create demand from scratch on Amazon. There's gotta be somebody searching for it. Now that brings me to my question though. So somebody who's starting on Amazon, they have a direct path. It's like find where there's existing demand, but it's maybe being underserved by existing competition. But if somebody is starting off of Amazon, you know, in this, you know, direct, you know, response or direct contact method or, or Shopify or whatever, is it the same or can you go after what would be considered more competitive niches because of the value that you're bringing with the story or the brand or the brand story or things like that? Or is it the same as Amazon where you, you have to go for the underserved markets? Yes, it's a great question. And, you know, that that is the wonderful thing about direct response is that it's the great equalizer because, you know, in, on Amazon, oftentimes the best product really does win in the marketplace based on the reviews. I mean, not always, but oftentimes the best product wins. Off of Amazon, the best promise wins. Yes, you need a wonderful Ooh, product like and that. you need your product to live up to the promise that you made. But he or she who can make the best promise will win because people buy promises. They don't buy products. And so he or she who can tell the best story he or she who can be the most entertaining, he or she who can make the best product about the benefit that the product is going to deliver. That's who wins. And so, you know, you see all these small direct-to-consumer retail apparel brands that are totally disrupting business models like Macy's and JCPenney and Nordstrom because they're going direct-to-consumer with story-based marketing and nobody's going to the malls anymore. So it's really happening a lot. And yeah, you don't need, you can go into pretty much any market you want if you get good at storytelling. I, I think the, the number one skill set that someone needs as a marketer is the ability to communicate, to tell a good story, and then get that story out in front of the people they want to see it effectively, which is why I teach 
advertising and video making, because I think those are really the two key skills when it comes to building an e-commerce brand. Of course, you got to know everything else, right? You got to know how to develop good products. You got to know how to support people. You got to understand supply chain. You got to understand a lot of traditional e-commerce stuff, but the great equalizer is storytelling and advertising. And, you know, there's a lot of people focused on that right now because it's the first time in the history of humans that we can reach anyone we want. We can reach, it used to be guys like us and gals like us couldn't reach anyone. We needed televisions and newspapers and radio channels to agree to put our stuff out there. And now we can just put it out there ourselves. And so I think it's a really amazing time and it's really the beginning of this time. And so you haven't missed the boat. There's still time to get good at this. And it's one of those things where it's like, maybe you're not passionate about that. But as I mentioned, you can, you become passionate about the things that you consistently put your attention on. That's how humans work. The skill set that you want to acquire is the skill set of mastery, which is the willingness to put your attention in one area consistently over time. Put, pick up the instrument, like I said, every day for 30 minutes, you're going to get better at it. And that is really the skill. The skill is, can I consistently put my attention in this direction for a set duration of time on a set number of days, week in, week out for a few years and show up with a positive attitude and face failure and face rejection and face things that are holding me back and keep coming. Because if you can get good at that, there's nothing that you can't be successful at, including paid advertising and video marketing, which take a while to dial in. But once you do are, are very rewarding. Yeah. And, and guys, if you can take one catchphrase from, from today's podcast, that was just gold. What he said at the beginning, you know, maybe Amazon's about getting the best product off Amazon, best promise. I, I love that. Now, one last, or actually I have two questions, but one last question here, or, or one of the, the first of the last questions here is, you're a forward-thinking person, absolutely. So what predictions do you have for e-commerce in 2020? Uh, you know, e-commerce 2020 is going to be an interesting one. I think what we will see on the high level is I think that a lot of these venture-backed companies that you're getting postcards in the mail from, like all, all of a sudden this year, you're getting tons of postcards and catalogs in the mail from direct-to-consumer brands that you've never heard of before that are backed by venture capital that got crazy high valuations that you see their Instagram ads all over the place. Those companies are going to go under. They're going to need to raise another round of funding because they have not focused on profitability. And they're, you're going to stop seeing their Instagram ads and their postcards. And you're going to see this big... Uh, on the high level of the big money, you're going to see this focus back on profitability, on not building giant eight-figure companies that aren't profitable, but building companies that are profitable at whatever scale. And I think that, you know, um, you're going to see a decline in the number of people, the number of new merchants in our community uh, uh, adopting Amazon. Like I think right now it's like 50 to 60% of people who launch new brands in our industry anyways, launch them on Amazon. I think you're going to see that go down just a little bit. I still think Amazon is the greatest opportunity in the history of e-commerce. And if I was starting out today, I would start there. No question, because it's the easiest place to get sales coming in. So um, I think for Amazon merchants, you're going to see, uh, you know, um, continued rising of amplification costs, continued tightening down of uh, review manipulation schemes. I think Amazon's going to keep getting a little bit, it's going to lend itself more to people with actually good brands rather than people who are just 
drop shipping or white labeling. I think people with IP in their product are going to do better on Amazon. I also think you're going to see even more of Amazon backdoor wiping out the big players and big categories as they've been doing over the years where they come in and, uh, you know, they backdoor, they find out who your supplier is, they launch their own brand, they kick you off or they try yeah. to buy you or they try to get you to be an Amazon vendor. I think you're going to see more consolidation in the top markets where Amazon just kind of takes those over because that seems to be their business model. Um, I think you're going to see a rising of costs in uh, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by about 15 to 20%. Um, and I think that Google will be continue to become a bigger and bigger player. Right now, everybody's focused on Facebook and Instagram. They're not really focusing on YouTube, the Google Display Network, the Google Search Network, Google Shopping. I think that's going to become a bigger and bigger opportunity for physical product merchants. Um, I could keep going if you want, but... I love it. I mean, I have a lot of similar views as far as what's going on. But now an even more important question before we close here is who's going to win the next tournament? Is Hakuho going to repeat again? Oh, I mean, he's he's at the end of his career, man. He's injured. He's older, uh, you know, but God, I mean, what do you go 15 and one in that last tournament? How? Yeah, I think he only lost how one. How can you bet against that guy? As long as he's doing it. Yeah. As long as he's stepping out there and, uh, uh, you know, making a go of it, I'm not betting against him. He's, he's the, he is the... Arguably the greatest Yokozuna in the history of sumo, and I don't know that anyone will come close to what he's done. And he came no, here I can't from imagine. Mongolia. How, how about you and I go to Japan and we go to a tournament? I've never been to an actual professional tournament live before. Neither so I, man. I'd really I'd love, to, love go. to go. I really want to. I've been to Japan a bunch of times, even when when tournaments were happening, but I haven't had a chance to be able to uh, attend one. So I was trying. I was looking at the one in Kyoto in September, but it's not going to work out. Ah, all right. Well, let's 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 make that a. Uh, Bucket list for 2020 for Ezra and Bradley to go to a professional sumo tournament now, but you, you've mentioned, you know, just in passing some of your, your training and things, but if people want to find out more information, can you give out those websites again so that people can write it yeah, down? Hey, thank you so much. And, and I do have a few closing thoughts, which is one sure. foot in front of the other. Don't focus on growth, focus on profitability. What makes business owners go under is not lack of good product or lack of good marketing. It's mismanagement of finances, not paying their taxes. Um, you know, uh, not respecting their financial life and not understanding the things like overhead, inventory, carry costs, taxes, that's what's going to sink your business. So focus a lot on profitability and, and have your books done by the 10th of each month, done by the 10th of each month. So you can review and see what did I spend on advertising? What did I spend on inventory? What did I spend on salary this month versus last month, this month versus this month, last year, be paying very close attention to your financials, because that is ultimately what is going to sink your ship is your mismanagement of your money. If you're like most business owners, uh, focus on profitability, not growth. Everybody wants to grow and everybody's selling you ways to grow, but that is a misguided uh, goal. The goal is have a good time. Enjoy your, my goal in business is number one, I want to have a good time and enjoy my work life. You could die. My business partner suddenly passed away last year. It was very traumatic and heavy. You don't know how much time you have. Mm. So be having fun. Take care of your social life. Take care of your relationship life. Take care of your body. Have habits. Have something outside of work that you do so that you can show up to work full of energy, not drained. And don't overwork yourself under the ground so you can't show up to the rest of your life uh, with energy. So number one, enjoy yourself, do what it takes to have a good time. Number two, make good stuff. And none of this bullshit, you white labeled the same black light flashlight that every other bum has from some factory <laughs> in China where you don't know how it was made or where it was made. Make stuff that is good. You will feel better about yourself and you will be more successful and you will have a better business. So make good things. Number one, have fun. Number two, make good stuff that serves the world. Number three, be profitable. Don't worry about growth. Worry about profit. If you can do that 
at any level, even $100,000 a year, if you can have a good time, make a great product and make a profit, you have won the game. And I cannot tell you the number of people that have multi-million, seven, eight, nine-figure businesses who come to me and say, man, I just, I wish I could go back to the good old days where it was, I was at a couple hundred grand a year in profit. I had three employees. I had no stress. I was living the life I wanted. And Mm. now I'm shackled to this crazy thing and I'm stressed and I'm overwhelmed and it's not profitable. It's like, you don't realize that that a smaller, more profitable, less intense business is actually a better model for your lifestyle. So um, yeah, that's what I have to say. And also you can visit me at smartmarketer.com. You can go to instagram.com forward slash Ezra Firestone at Ezra Firestone on Instagram. And if you want the traffic course, it's launching again in January, trainmytrafficperson.com, trainmytrafficperson.com. Love it. Well, Ezra, thank you very much for joining us. And we'd love to touch base with you maybe the end of 2020 and, and see, see what kind of more nuggets you have for us at that yeah, time. Yeah, man. Love to come back on the show. Thanks for listening. I know we can went kind of long. I can get a little rambly, but I appreciate it. No worries. I've had Kevin King on this podcast and, and he doesn't let me talk at all. So you're, you're, you're good. You're right, good. Thanks, man. Talk to you soon. Quick note, guys, don't forget that regardless where you are listening to this podcast, whether it's on your iPhone or on Stitcher, on Spotify, that you hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified every time we drop a new episode.